I was about to say good morning, John, but yeah, well, it's good it, afternoon. It could be morning when people are listening to this, though. Probably is. I imagine people listening right now waking up from a slumber, fully rested, with a, a cup of coffee in their hand, and saying, I just can't wait to listen to Why God Why today. And I'm excited that they're doing that. Well, this is Peter Englert. I'm the co-host of Why God Why. Whether it's morning, noon, or night, we are glad that you're with us. Uh, we're here with our illustrious producer, Dylan Carnival, our fantastic co-host, John Amayo. Yes. And we are here with uh, the director of ministry intelligence from the American Bible Society, John Plake. And he is answering the question, why should I base my life on an ancient book? And um, I'll just introduce John, and then John Amayo is going to jump in. But uh, John and I met when I lived in Missouri for a little bit. He was a college professor, loves to teach, has a great heart, and he got a job at the American Bible Society and studies how important the Bible is. John, what do you think about today's question? John Amayo, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I think this uh, question is one that a lot of people ask, whether they, they ask it in the specific way or not. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of debated. But a lot of people ask the question, is the Bible even practical for me today? It's this ancient book for most people uh, written thousands of years ago. Why in the world would this apply to my life? I mean, I run into this all the time with people. And, and, uh, and so I think the fact that we're talking about this is really healthy. And it's, it's something that people are struggling with, whether they have the courage to admit it to us or not. What do you, what do you think? Peter? I absolutely think that. And, um, I think what John's going to bring is some of the research I think is going to surprise some of our listeners. So, mm -hmm. We'll go from there. John, I, John Plake, I should say, I want to get you started from there. You know, before we kind of get into how you got to the American Bible Society and things, I just want to kind of throw open uh, this question to you. You've been doing a lot of research on reading the Bible, the coronavirus during the pandemic. And I just kind of want to give you a chance to kind of connect with our listeners about the research you're doing and what you're finding. I think it'd be curious for them to hear kind of what you and I talked about a few few weeks ago. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's a real pleasure to be with you this morning. And so thanks for the invitation. I, I think one of the fascinating things that we've discovered in the State of the Bible research. It's our 10th year to do our annual State of the Bible study, and we'll skip a rock through that. If your listeners want to know more about it, they can go to stateofthebible.org and download the report for free, and they can read to their heart's content. But one of the fascinating things that we've really noticed is uh, people have been struggling in the midst of COVID-19. And you know, you might say, hey, that's not really news. I mean, I can talk to my neighbors and know that people have been struggling. Um, but we've also noticed that people in their relationship with the Bible have sometimes struggled. And we've learned a lot about what's helped them to sustain hope and flourishing and strength through Scripture, even, you know, in the 21st century. So I'm excited about just talking about this notion of, well, what is it about this ancient book that commends itself to us in the 21st century in the middle of a pandemic? Is there any reason I should give it my attention? And I think the data tells us a lot about that. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I, I think you bring a lot of statistics, data, like you were saying, but also a personal experience with the Bible as well, which I think our listeners are going to really benefit from. I think one thing that, that people might be thinking right now is, how in the world do you get 
in a job where this is your job. So like I, I just, you know, I, I assume, I, I don't know, maybe this is a big assumption. Maybe you have assumed that this was going to be your job your entire life and you just thought uh, this is what I'm going to do. But uh, if not, how did you get to the spot where you're at today? <laughs> you're right. That No one has ever assumed that this job would even exist. I mean, <laughs> ministry intelligence, what's that for one thing? And I just tell people I'm a professional explainer. You know, I, I kind of stand between people who are doing church-based ministry, just trying to serve others in their communities in much the same way you guys are, and people who are collecting research and data and explain one side to the other. I'm a professional explainer. But it really started uh, back in uh, the 80s, before many of your listeners were born, and I, you know, got my first job as an associate pastor in Northern Illinois. And I began to look around my church, and then I began to look around my community, and I wondered, though I didn't have the skills to figure it out, is our church really serving everybody in the community, or are we only serving some of the people in the community? And as a result of that question, um, I began to develop some very minor skill in just research and statistics and demographics, and then through graduate school, I ended up working in uh, Asia Pacific, in the Philippines predominantly, And I was working with people who weren't like me, and I realized they had different questions than I had, and I had to learn to listen to people who were different than I was. And as a result of that, I ended up at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri, helping young people who are interested in serving others around the globe understand, well, what do I have to do to be good at my job across cultures? Long story short, 30 years in pastoral, missionary, and higher education work, and I got called by a friend uh, who's a brilliant statistician at the University of Texas in Austin, and she said, John, American Bible Society is looking for somebody who knows how to do ministry and statistics, and that's a pretty rare Hmm. mix, you know? And uh, so it started a conversation, and three years later, here I am. Wow. Wow. That that's a fascinating journey. Statistics people don't often think. Probably, I, I I would imagine people don't always associate the Bible with like statistics. You probably two totally different worlds. Like uh, for a lot of people, that's kind of a mind blowing thing. Probably, did did you feel that way too when you initially entered this this role? Like, did you have a mindset for it, or or was it like, well, I'm kind of designed for this actually. So I think a lot of people in North America and in the West in general kind of think of the spiritual world Mm -hmm. and the natural world, and they have this separation between the two of them. They never touch one another. We believe that our spiritual faith, our religious faith should be private, never talk about it. God help you if you ever talk about what you believe, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's just the culture that we live in. I've never really bought into that, to be honest. I think the Bible tells a story of a God who created us and everything that we see with purpose and intentionality. And he likes to mingle with us, uh, both through his principles and precepts, but also through the person of Jesus Christ. Fascinating just ways of intervening in our lives. And so here's where I came from. I came from a background of faith And I thought, well, if faith is real, if God is really out there, then there should be some demonstrable effects of that, 
right? We should be able to see the impact. Now, I don't expect we can see God. That's a little weird. Uh, But I expect that if God's at work, we ought to be able to notice it. And that's really similar to what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he's trying to explain this crazy thing that's going on with Jesus. And Jesus says, look, you can't see the wind, can you? And Nicodemus is nodding his head going, no, I guess you can't see the wind. But you can see the leaves blowing in the trees, and you know that the wind is doing it. And so similarly, uh, you can't see all of the spiritual world that's out there, but you can see its effects. And statistics and research and just asking questions and listening helps us to see what God's doing in the world. Wow, that's really good. Um, You know, what I'm thinking about is you and I had a conversation and you know, we're from Rochester. I don't know if you know this. Rochester has the second uh, per capita um, patents in the United States, most uh, patents. So we have a very smart audience. I'm in a small group of people that I am the one liberal arts uh, graduate. And I would guess that venture most of our um most of our just our friends um, of the podcast are in engineering and science, and they're trying to kind of rectify faith and real life. And what I loved about what you just said there, and what I want you to just kind of explain is like we think of the Bible sometimes we treat it more as fairy tales. But you um, you worked with this little known college called Harvard. Um, to do some research about the effects of Bible of the Bible on a person's life. Why don't you help our listeners kind of understand the effects, as you said, about how reading the Bible, even in this pandemic, can really make an effect on someone that's personal? Sure. Um, so l- let me just give a, a big shout out to the folks at Harvard at the Chan School of Public Health, because they've been tremendous partners in this. And uh, it, Tyler Vanderwill, who's the director of the Human Flourishing Program there, was gracious enough to allow us to use some of his research instruments and to bake them into the uh, 2020 State of the Bible research. And we didn't know what we'd find, to be honest. Uh, but what we found was pretty striking. And that was basically that across these domains, happiness and life satisfaction, mental and physical health, meaning and purpose in life, character and virtue, close social relationships, and financial and marital stability, people who had a strong relationship with the Bible, they had higher flourishing scores than people who didn't have a strong relationship with the Bible. And some of that is because Bible people also tend to be engaged in religious communities. They go to churches. They're part of small groups. They're among people who know them. And so that's certainly part of what's going on. There's a supportive effect from being in that community. But it also seems to go beyond that. And we found that they are more resilient. Uh, When we looked at data we collected in January before the COVID-19 pandemic hit and then compared it to June, Uh, we found that people who were what we call scripture-engaged, or they're consistently interacting with the Bible in a way that's shaping their choices and transforming their relationships with God and other people, those folks just held strong. And it's not that they didn't face any troubles or struggles. They certainly did. Chief among them, actually, women and mostly women who do not have children under the age of 18 at home. So this would be millennial and Gen Z women who don't have children yet. Um, And it would also be older women who would tend to be 
uh, later millennials, um, Gen X, my generation, and boomers whose kids have left the house, um, they they really didn't do well. And we think it's because a lot of their supportive relationships got disrupted. They couldn't meet together with their friends. They couldn't sit down over a cup of coffee, kind of like we're doing today, and talk about what God's doing in their lives and find answers for the struggles that they were facing in Scripture. Wow. This is a fascinating, that's a fascinating study, just the fact that people were thriving more in their personal lives as they were engaging with the Bible. Um, in your research with that, is there a, was there an indicator of like how much time you needed to spend engaging with the Bible in order, was there like a, a specific time associated with that or or did, you, did it have to be like an hour a day that someone was spending doing that for their for their life to get better or what? Like, I think a, a lot of our listeners are probably like, okay, so what exactly are you telling me here? So, yeah. Yeah, listeners couldn't see me laughing yeah. when you said that. <laughs> uh, almost nobody, yeah. almost nobody spends an hour a day reading the Bible. Except it's for Peter. Really, really uh, Peter rare. does. Yeah. Except for Peter, yeah. who is Jesus' little brother, yeah. Yeah. obviously, <laughs> so we know why he does it, but... Um, it, that, that's so, wrong. Yeah, it's, I just it's need a great to throw question. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so that makes Andy Jesus, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, that's <laughs> troubling. Okay. So uh, what we what we really need to do is turn the page back and talk about the Bible. So uh, it's amazing how very little interaction with Scripture begins to make a change. Now, you, Peter, you said that a lot of your listeners are in science and engineering, and so this is what we know is a continuous variable, okay? So it's a scale variable, and that means that every little change can change your score just a little bit. Uh, but let's just put it this way. If you're taking time to read the Bible for any length of time, call it you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes maybe, just enough to get some exposure to the Bible, and you're doing that once a week on your own outside of a church service, my guess is you're beginning to grow. Um, and your scripture engagement score is coming up. And every step of improvement you make in your scripture engagement, spending maybe a few more days where you interact with scripture, maybe a little more time, maybe developing some deeper interest in what God might be saying to you through scripture, um, those changes result in increases in hope and increases in flourishing in pretty much a straight line. And I don't want to quote correlation coefficients, but I mean, there's a definite relationship between these two things. And it's exciting to see, because if we're going to have faith in something that's, you know, 2,000 years old, uh, it would be great if that faith bears out in our real lives and we see the result of it. And what's super cool is here we sit using statistics, right? I mean, you know, data analysis that was designed not to measure faith, but we see the impact of that faith clearly and irrefutably. So first of all, listeners, when John said Andy, that's my older brother. So we just want to make sure y'all kind of know that. Love you, Andy. And he is like Jesus in some ways. Um, <laughs> in some ways. In some ways. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing I'm just going to kind of throw out there, because, you know, for our listeners that are still here, there's a lot of skeptics about the Bible, and there's probably a lot of skeptics about this research. But Charles Duhigg, who is on LinkedIn, he wrote this book called The Power of Habit, and he really confirms what you just said. So he has a chapter on Target on how they market to get their target audience in there, pun intended. He tells stories about Alcoa and all these companies, and one of his chapters is actually on 
Rick Warren from Saddleback Church and how Rick Warren said, these are the habits of faith for you to grow. And as far as I know, Charles Duhigg is not a follower of Jesus, but he's kind of saying, hey, when when you create a habit of faith, these things change that. So kind of like what John was asking, I guess this is where I think I probably kind of like, is it the fact that the habit of reading the Bible forces you to have a perspective outside of your own? Or like, is it just, you know, is it kind of like exercise that there's a keystone habit and everything changes? And, you know, I say this today, I read like, you know, this week I'm in second Samuel and it's like David's downfall and it's like so depressing. And I'm like, I don't even know what to glean. And like, I'm just being honest, like, that's just what it feels like. So I guess I'd be more curious. Like, I think Charles Duhigg is onto something with this habit, but I also think even in your research, you defined what that habit and engagement looks like. Why don't you share a little bit more? Yeah. So I think one of the interesting things is is people get the Bible uh, a little wrong, to be honest. It's not like any book you've ever read before, for one thing. Uh, it's a collection of stories that all have a a theme that ties them together, but it's you know it's sixty six separate pieces of literature. And so people try to pick it up and read it like they're reading, you know, their favorite John Grisham novel or something and pick it up and start reading at the beginning. And about the time they land in numbers, they're lost and maybe sooner than that. And so they they don't know how to come to a book that's not written like any other book they've ever seen and get from it something that's really helpful and useful to them. We did some uh, really powerful research among people who were new to the Bible, and they they had this is a group of people who had begun reading the Bible. They'd increased their use of the Bible, but um, but they were still you know pretty new. And there were five key takeaways that we got from this. Uh, the first one was that people tend to reach for the Bible at some significant change point in their lives. I mean, you know, when things are different, you tend to look for different solutions. And you might look for those in a number of places. You might try to lose weight or start an exercise program or whatever. But many people are faced with questions about how can I live my life better? How can I Um, understand who I am and the purpose in my life, and they'll reach for Scripture in those cases. Um, So they reach for it at a change point. But the second thing is really critical, and that's that most people, and probably a lot of your listeners, if they're interested in the Bible at all, they're interested on their own terms. Mm. In other words, they're not interested in doing a book study on the book of Hebrews to understand its central theme and motifs and structure. Like, that's not what brings them to the Bible. They're saying, hey, I'm a parent— or I'm in a new relationship or out of an old relationship, and does the Bible give me any wisdom for like living my life where I am right now? It starts with their terms and their questions. The third key thing that we heard a lot was that these folks both need and want a guide. They want somebody to help them navigate their way through this really unfamiliar book, much like if you tried to pick up the Rig Veda and make your way through it in Sanskrit, that would be a little bit challenging for you. Fourth, um, they struggle with biblical language and setting. Like, what do you mean you have to have faith like a grain of mustard seed? I don't know what that means. And we heard a gentleman in Chicago tell us that in a focus group. It was really fascinating and really colorful. Um, And the other thing is, the fifth thing is, they tend to know a Bible person who's kind of a hero to them. 
And so what we often want to do is help by doing a couple of things. I love Bible apps. I mean, if you've never gotten a Bible app like Uversion or one of the others that are out there, these are awesome because you can type in a, a search term and find somebody who's curated a study responsibly from Scripture that will help you understand how to be a parent. I had a, a guy uh, who was an Uber driver for me out in Colorado Springs one day, and uh, you know he's like a millennial mountain man. And he's taken me from the airport to around the Air Force Academy, and uh, a couple of dudes in a car. We didn't even talk for the first, you know, 15 minutes. And finally, he pipes up and and he says something about he's got young kids and he's trying to teach them how to live as moral people. And I thought, interesting. How do you do that? Like my inner researcher came out. Tell me about that. And he says, well, you know, I've I've decided to read them Grimm's fairy tales at bedtime. And I thought. Holy smoke, you know, if you want to frighten them to death, uh, that's a good way to go. Or like if they're, you know, medieval children living in Germany and you want them to not wander off into the woods and be eaten by a bear, there's a good idea. Uh, but, you know, I didn't say any of that. So I, I just asked him this question. I said, have you ever considered whether the Bible might have anything to say to your kids or to you about being a good parent? And he wasn't hostile about this at all. He just went, huh. No, I, I'd never really thought about that. Does the Bible have something to say about that? And of course, I know that it does, but he didn't know that. So we ended up by this point at the little carport at the hotel, and I take out my phone and I opened up the Uversion app and I just typed in parenting and turned it to face him. And I showed him the results of these reading plans on parenting. And I said, does any of this look interesting to you? And his eyes got really big. He said, I didn't know the Bible had anything to say about being a parent. He said, what app is that and how do I get it? And so we stood there under the carport at Hampton Inn and he downloaded, you know, the Version Bible app because he was at a place where he had some questions. Is there timeless wisdom that can help me be a good parent and help my kids be good kids? And if there is, I may be open to that. And, you know, I don't know what the end of the story is, but the beginning was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, I, I think what you're describing there is what you one of the things that you highlighted, which was people want a guide, right, in this process for them. And you were kind of serving as a guide for for that guy at that time in his life. And you were just able to kind of show him a little snapshot of what the Bible could do. I, I'm thinking that probably there is a good number of people who are listening to us who would love the same thing, who would love a guide, a Bible guide of their own. And I'm wondering if you have any general principles for them. You could, you can give them kind of a, uh, a kind of a overarching guide, if you will, to what the Bible would say to them or how they w should approach it. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I interact with, they some of their questions are, how is the Bible so inconsistent? And, or, um, you know, how about, and then, you know, kind of nailing down some of the miracles, are they for real? Or there's just so many questions that people have about the Bible. Um, can, you, can you help them get started on that journey as a guide for them? Yeah, we're actually in the middle of, of writing um, a new getting started with the Bible piece that's going to be available on the Glue platform um, a little bit later this year. Actually, in about a month, that's going to be up and ready to go. Maybe when it comes up, we can you know link your listeners to it or something yeah. like that. But for now, I, like I said, I love 
Bible apps. And I encourage people who are maybe new to the Bible um, to take a reading plan that somebody has put together that you like and just go search scripture about a topic that you're interested in. In other words, start where you are. There are a lot of people who take a different approach to this. Some people say, oh, read the Gospel of John first, or do this or do that first. And I just find we need to listen to people and what they're interested in. And Mm. so if they have an issue, I know a lot of people who have come to the Bible simply because they were struggling with an addiction. So a behavior that was was habitual and troubling to them and maybe not being helpful to them, and they didn't know how to deal with that, or relationship issues, or some change in life, or grief. I mean, during COVID-19, so many people have been faced with grief and hardship that they don't know how to deal with, and they can go to their phone, they can download the Version Bible app, uh, they can type in whatever it is they're looking for, and they're going to find some really good results. Some of those American Bible Society might have created, but a whole bunch of them we haven't. And I would just encourage them to try that. Um, the second thing that really helps is to recognize that the Bible is both historical. It's a kind of a valid historical record in many ways, not necessarily written by scientists. So if you're expecting it to give you scientific detail about the origins of the earth, you know, uh, there are probably some good hints there, but I don't think they thought in those terms when they were even writing the pages of the Bible. So, you know, it's not like picking up a textbook. Um, Nevertheless, you can pick it up and I just encourage people to pray and praying, simply talking to God, And um, I would put it like this. Hey, God, I'm new to this thing. Help me to understand what you want me to understand and help me to hear your voice for me today and give it a try. Um, I think that repeatedly people who have offered God an opportunity to manifest or make known his presence, like the moving leaves in the tree from the story about Nicodemus, uh, God's pretty faithful. And I trust God's word, the Bible, and God's spirit to be at work with our spirits because he really wants to be known and wants to be involved in people's lives. And this is a great opportunity to say, okay, God, if you're real, show up and put the challenge out there. See if he's up to it. So, John, I, I kind of want to come back to you, you know, because you're a data person, you're a pastor. Um, you know, I think sometimes people have this assumption about me that I've always had this wonderful relationship with the Bible that I've never doubted it. And uh, I just want to say officially on this show, I have, um, and it's almost an occupational hazard for pastors or theologians to study the Bible. And so I guess I'd be curious from you. I mean, you've basically devoted your whole life, um, to understanding the message of this book and just for our listeners, because on one hand, you're saying, you know, the Harvard study says human flourishing, the Bible changes that. You just said it's kind of like feeling the spirit in the wind in the trees. And like, I, I'm sure some of our listeners are kind of sitting back there and they're like, hey, like, have you ever doubted the Bible? Have you ever walked through darkness? Have you ever questioned God? I, I guess I'd be curious to know, you know, you personally, what's your relationship with the Bible, how it's grown, and what's its ups and downs? That's a good question. 
you know, to say that I have always had a like mountaintop experience with the Bible. Every time I open it, you know, the the words leap off the page and some spiritual epiphany and, you know, uh, halos happen and stuff like that. That's that's just not the way that it works. But I have consistently found wisdom. And I think the thing that has changed in my life with my relationship with the Bible is you know, my life stages have changed. Um, when I started pastoring, I was single in like 21. I was, the, if you're old enough to remember, I was the Doogie Hauser of pastors. <laughs> I was one of the youngest pastors in like the history of the planet. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I was engaged and had a broken engagement and, um, and so had to deal with some relationship challenges. And those can be difficult in faith challenging times. Hey God, are you there? And do you do you know that I'm here? And do you know what I'm dealing with? Um, but I found that at each of those challenges, whether they were you know career or getting married or having children or things I'd never done before and I didn't know how to do, I found that when I turned to Scripture with honest questions, that the Bible really had wisdom for me that maybe I didn't have, I didn't have you know containers to hold it at certain points in my life, like. What was grief? What was regret? What was, you know, the kinds of hardships that maybe I've experienced later in life that I hadn't experienced when I was 21 years old? Um, God has just been faithful to use his word to speak to my heart and to give me wisdom to live a life, you know, uh, 21 centuries from, you know, the time the the last chapter of it was written. It's pretty fascinating. Where are you right now uh, with the Bible? Um you know, there's some positive stuff to the research. I mean, we're, we're recording this, um, you know, in Rochester, we're not that far from Daniel Prude. There's still a lot of ongoing conversations about that. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, racial reckoning. I mean, today, this week is, you know, we heard the news of Breonna Taylor. And, you know, I guess I'm kind of curious from someone that, um, it, ministry intelligence, I think that's a great way to describe it. You know, I'm listening to this conversation and I have hope, but I also, I know that like we are in like this really, really dark valley. How are you kind of walking through that as someone doing the research, trying to kind of connect the dots and help people find hope? You know, how would you respond to that? I think it is important for us to understand that not every Bible person in the history of the world has done justice to what the Bible really says. Mm. Um, if we look at the history of America, um, there have been people who've used the Bible to support some pretty non-biblical things. Um, and I think out in the wide world of America, you know, something like 30% of American adults, 33, 34, uh, never read the Bible. And so they often have opinions about the Bible. Um, some of them are curious and want to know more, and some of them aren't, and they have these very decided opinions about what the Bible has to say. And I think that's really sad, to be honest. Uh, you know, people who have attempted to support slavery using Scripture as a way to say, well, there were slaves in the Bible, so then slavery must be okay— I just think they've been smoking something, you know, that's, that's just not accurate. And, um, I would encourage people to dig in with their tough questions and the questions change from generation to generation. There've always been struggles. There've always been difficulties, but God is faithful 
and his word has wisdom for people in every age. And so I think we need sometimes a dose of humility. I, when I was teaching people uh, who were preparing to work in other cultures, I would say, just remember this. The Bible is at home in every culture, but the Bible also confronts every culture. Mm. And it's our tendency to only come to the Bible with our own questions and our own perspectives and just kind of look to load the canon with like Bible verses. Oh, well, this is what I believe. So how can I use the Bible to support my particular perspective? I've seen politicians do that on both sides of the aisle. Um, And instead, I think we need to come to the Bible with an open mind and an open heart that says, all right, how does the Bible describe what God really wants for us? And then how can we partner with him to see that happen for everybody in every setting, in every country, in every socioeconomic you know, condition from every ethnicity? We really need to be careful that we allow the Bible to critique our society and ourselves as individuals before we um, you know, use the Bible simply to reinforce our own ideas. Mm. Mm. I, I think this is a really fascinating way that you're you're describing approaching the Bible, John, at least in my experience, as I've heard people talk about um, encouraging other people to read the Bible, very rarely does it center on, hey, you have questions in the Bible and, and maybe heart longings, and the Bible actually might speak to those things that you're longing for. It's almost, it's meeting people where they're at. Um I think that is a different approach than what I've heard a lot of people do when they're encouraging other people to read the Bible. It's kind of like, you need to do this. And it's kind of like, a uh, uh, just read this book and it'll make you better. And then rather than truly caring about the other person. But um, it seems like you're approaching this topic from... Uh, from the aspect of the Bible really does want us to flourish as human beings. Like God intends us to flourish as a human being. And, and the Bible is one way of him allowing us to do that. Um, has, has like you're descri- as you're talking, I'm like, there's something different about the way John's describing this from what, what I hear people do normally. So can, is that based off of research, your own personal life experience? Like, how does how did you arrive to that point where that's the way you encourage people to read the Bible? Or has that just always been just kind of your natural go-to? No, it hasn't always been. Yeah. I had somebody ask me recently, if you knew 30 years ago when you started in ministry, if you knew then what you know now, what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And my answer is everything. Mm. I would do everything differently. Um, I've learned so much over the years, and one of the things that um, that I just advocate for is that we need to start with where people are. Um, you can't make somebody interested in you know your own idea. And so one of the things we did is we went to the Alphabet Company, uh, the folks who own Google, and we said, hey, tell us the top 100 questions people put into Google that have anything to do with the Bible. And we want to curate those, and we want to we want to come up with some way of at least beginning to answer those questions. And so we did that and we put out a website, which is still available. It's called lookinside.bible. And you can look through there. It may not have every question that you're interested in, but it was this attempt to say, hey, people have questions. Is there a way that we can answer 
without whacking them over the head with our own theological perspective, mm-hmm. can we take them to the Bible and let the Bible kind of speak for itself on these issues? So we could serve as the guide, um, hopefully in a you know a, a neutral way. I mean, I don't know about Rochester, but every town I've ever lived in, there are you know dozens of different churches, and they may not all see the Bible the same way. They may not all see a variety of issues in exactly the same way. And so what we wanted to do is stand as the people who are representing the Bible and say, well, this is what the Bible says. Now, you know, are there differences of opinion about that? There may be, and sometimes we bring them up. So recently, um, I was interested in, because of all the, the social justice issues that were going on in America, I looked up slavery. And you know, what does the Bible say about slavery? And I thought, man, this is really good stuff to just remind me what the Bible says about slavery or about justice or about women or about a lot of these kind of hot button issues that they come up again and again in society. um, And we need to know what does the Bible say so that we can, whether you believe everything that the Bible claims or you don't believe everything that the Bible claims, I would just submit to you, there's good wisdom for how to live together as caring neighbors in scripture. And there's much more than that, but it's a wonderful place to start. You know, I'm coming back to your story about the Uber driver and, you know, it's just, I think, so I think what everybody's expecting the pastor here to say is, well, if you, you know, you should just devote your life to the Bible. And, and I guess, you know, I live under this assumption that all truth is God's truth. And, you know, the struggle is, it's like, you can look up other things and talk about your behavior but there are very, very few books and resources that ask you to look inside your heart. Um, and I think that that's kind of what you're you're getting at is, why do I even care about this? You know, why do I even? And I think sometimes churches oversimplify. Um, they say, well, you need a changed heart. And I think a lot of people believe that. And I even like the way that you're talking about the Bible, too. It responds to what we're going through and it calls us to enter in as opposed to like, I hear it sometimes as a rule book or basic instructions before leaving earth. Like, I think that those kind of, I find that the Bible relates more to the reality of the brokenness of the sinfulness of the terrible systems of the difficulties and the challenges as opposed to just you know, giving you five steps to get better. And I think in some ways what you're trying to do is you're saying, hey, you know, there's a practical element to the Bible, but then there's a spiritual element that's going to awaken in your life. Is that is that kind of what you're saying, so to speak? Yeah, it really is. I think in America in particular and in Western societies, we we really have tried to play down the existence of any spiritual component to human beings at all. Mm. Uh, we're just, you know, we're just animals, uh, some would say, right? And we're just kind of a higher order of animal. And there's nothing qualitatively different uh, about humans as animals than canines or bovines or porcines or, you know, any of the other eyes, right? And, and so why do we need this? But I think the reality is that the Bible tells a different story, and it invites us into that different story. And that different story is that human beings were created qualitatively differently, and that seems to conform pretty well with my experience. Um, And then God says, we messed it up. 
and goodness knows I've messed it up. Uh, everybody I know has messed up something in their lives. It just seems to be like a human constant. And in the midst of all that brokenness, the Bible is the story of God chasing after broken people that he cares about and saying, look, I know you've run away and I know you've messed up and I know you have a lot that you don't know how to deal with, but if you'll come to me, I'll help you. I have the answers that you need and I'll be with you in the struggles that you face. And that's a, a really transformative message that I don't find anywhere else. I love science. I'm like a Nova junkie and, you know, I love calculus and I, I you know, I, I love the beauty of all of those things. But in many ways, I see what what occurs in nature as reading the book of God's world in much the same way that I'm reading the book of God's word. And in each case, I find that God's spirit is present and wants to speak to my spirit and help me kind of from the inside out understand what he's doing in the world. And so anyway, I could get too deep into all of that, but I think there's more than uh, many of us would make time for. And so I encourage people, start where you are and see where it takes you. Mm. What a what a cool way to describe the process, I think, for people. I think if, if I was someone who was just exploring the Bible um, or maybe thought, hey, this has, I, I wonder if the Bible has any potential for, for my life, like I would be super uh, encouraged by hearing someone talk to me about the Bible the way that you just have compared to trying to go like, uh, you know, a coercive approach toward the Bible, I think that many people probably experienced and maybe even hurt because of that uh, experience. So um, I think that's beautiful. And the way that we always like to end this podcast is by saying, how would Jesus explain this question? Like, what would Jesus have to say about this? That's the way we always end the podcast. So some of these are easier than others. And we always, you know, Peter and I very rarely do we go into these with, you know, four thought out uh, (laughs) conclusions of exactly how we're going to answer this question, because so much comes up in the midst of these conversations. But uh, I would love to hear your perspective. We'll give that one last as the honorable member of the uh, American Bible Society. Certainly you will know the answer to this better than us. But uh, Peter, do you want to go for it? You know, I was thinking a lot about this conversation. Um, you know, last night I was with my small group and we're starting a series in Genesis, which at least in Rochester, that's probably the most debated book. And you even mentioned the origins of the earth. And our discussion revolved around, I think when people talk about coming to Christianity, there's this idea of sin and brokenness and depravity. And it's almost as if everything starts there. But, you know, when I think of why base your life on this ancient book, if you skip Genesis 1 and 2, and our senior pastor, Rob, did an awesome sermon this past week about it, but talking about human beings created in the image of God, and I think of a lot about what we're going through right now, that when we encounter, you know, our black brothers and sisters, when we encounter the pandemic of wearing masks, when we encounter our political polarizations, you know, what would change if we looked back at Genesis 1 and 2 saying this, hey, every person is created in God's image, period. And it's almost as if, you know, the Bible is good news, 
bad news and you can't get to the sin without knowing that God created a good world. He created human beings in his image. There's brokenness and then there's more good news, which Jesus Christ has come to save us. And, and I think the way that I would respond, what does Jesus have to say? There's so much of the message of Christianity that could transform our culture and society right now that if people began to really engage the Bible in their hearts individually, I wonder how much more that would change. And I'm leaving challenge with what would Jesus say about it? I think Jesus is challenging us not to look at the Bible under our own perceptions, but to let the Bible be what it actually is. So that's where I'm going with that. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good, Peter. I I, I think as I am interacting with what Jesus would say about it, I think of Jesus when he he refers back to the version of the Bible in his day all the time. Like he talks about you know the Bible, the Old Testament continually and and when when he's talking and sometimes in really creative ways he he makes allusions to it and 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 he got accused of of saying, you know, he came to to kind of get rid of the the Old Testament. And Jesus said, "Hey, I didn't I didn't come here to abolish that. I came to be the fulfillment of it." And so I think what Jesus would say is, "Hey, read this and and look for me throughout it because mm-hmm. I'm there and and I want to bring you life and bring it to the full and um I I'm here to bring you hope and to bring you peace and that is me and I want you to look in this and see me all throughout it and um and and challenge yourself by saying who is this Jesus and and come to the point where you Ask yourself that question honestly. I think that's what Jesus would would want us to do when we're interacting with the Bible. But I, how about you, John? There you go. That's my best guess at it. It's really hard to improve on what you guys have said. Those are <laughs> those are great comments. In fact, I was talking with my 15 year old daughter um, the other day, uh, working through some science and physics and things like that, and actually some American government that she's been studying. And as we were working through this, I challenged her to go back to Genesis 1 through 3 and to look at the environment it, that is described in those first chapters of Genesis. Uh, what was the environment that God created for human beings, and what was the role that he gave them, and what was the form of government that was practiced there? And uh, what was fascinating is we got into this, this conversation about the fact that brokenness came into a perfect system and that God allowed that. And I think one of the interesting things is that governments often have to allow certain things that they don't necessarily endorse, Um, but there also is a God in heaven who knows that when we make those mistakes, he already has a plan. He already has a plan to fix it. Uh, He knows we can't fix it ourselves. And so I think Jesus, as you said so well, John, Jesus uh, knew the Old Testament scriptures, all the scriptures that were written then, he knew them very, very well. He alluded to them in his speeches, in his conversations. He was an expert in the Bible, but he was also all that the Bible was talking about. He's the centerpiece of the story. And so I think there's an invitation in scripture to come and see who Jesus is and what he's doing and how that applies to each of us when we experience our own kinds of brokenness. He's there, and he's welcoming us into healing, and he's welcoming us into a family that's 
arguably better than any family we've ever had. Mm. Wow. What a way to close. And John, thank you so much. Um, Listener, I just want to say I'm glad that you're listening through this uh, whole podcast because I think this is something that you can share with a friend. So if you're a skeptic, you know, you might want to send it to your Christian friend. And, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you to send it to your skeptic. Just have a conversation about it. I think that's the best way to go forward. Make sure you share this on social media. Hashtag WGW podcast. We are at whygodwhypodcast.com. You can follow John Plake uh, by going to the American Bible Society handle. It's real easy to find. John, what's the American Bible Society website? I, I always want to say like abs.org, but that's not it. Is it? It's Yeah, it's AmericanBible.org. AmericanBible.org. So folks, leave us a review, share this podcast. Um, We also have an email that you can subscribe to so you never miss a podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful day.